In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. Welcome back to another week on the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh, here as we equip you with practical tools to live your faith in our modern world of today. And this week, I'm bringing in Kevin Bailey, uh, co-director of Perusia Media. Uh, welcome aboard, Kevin. Hey, great to be here. Thank you. Excellent. It, it's great to have you. I mean, you're very much uh, in the background of Perusia Media and, uh, and we see you a lot at events and I think many people don't have a chance to understand who you are and some of the tremendous work that you do so I just wanted to introduce our listeners here to you and uh, what role you play a bit about your background and what role you yeah, play sure. in the tremendous apostolate of Perusia and bringing the word of God um, uh, to Australia and uh, we're going to go in and speak today and focus in today on a very important project of yours that is Divine Renovation. I'm really excited to hear about it, but let's hear a little bit about you, Kevin. Welcome aboard to the Catholic Toolbox. Thank you. Great to be here, George. And um, uh, it's it's interesting when you talk about my background and I, you know, born and bred in Sydney. Um, my friends in Melbourne here say that explains a lot. Um, but uh, nevertheless, <laughs> um, I grew up in a fairly um, poor Western suburbs, sort of, um, um, we had a housing commission house, two bedroom house with eight kids. My dad was a factory worker and I um, wanted to be successful. I wanted to get on in life. And so when I was 16, I left school and joined the army. And um, the idea of joining the army was um, because I wanted to finish high school and I couldn't, we couldn't afford to send me to high school to do year 12 um, at a Catholic high school. And so um, I um, joined the army with the idea that I could actually finish my education. I, I spent four years studying electronics and um, uh, with the army. Um, but then I was um, very interested. I loved sport. I was involved in uh, cross countries running um, a lot as a kid. And um, then I, when I joined the army, I got involved in cross country skiing and I was a really good um, rifle shooter. So they, um, they had a, a sport that uh, is an Olympic sport, uh, biathlon, and yeah. uh, they wanted to keep it in the Olympics and they needed more countries. So they approached the army and they said, well, Australia needs to have a biathlon team. And so um, the army thought, well, anyone who's good at cross-country uh, uh, running would be good at cross-country skiing. And I was a good um, marksman. So next thing you know, I got all this expert uh, training and um, I ended up uh, qualifying to be on the Australian team, went to the World Cup, World Championships, um, eventually, I got to the uh, the uh, pre-Olympic Games at Lake Placid um, in 1979, the year before the 1980 Winter Olympics, and I was invited or I got uh, selected for the Olympics, but I had a motorbike accident, yeah. and yeah. that meant that I was in hospital for about five months, and I um, watched the Olympics on television. Uh, one of the things that I was very interested in doing was... Um, focusing my attention on what could I achieve to to get out of this dilemma where I'd, you know, sort of 11 broke 11 breaks my arms and all sorts of problems. And But anyway, I decided I was going to join the Special Forces, get in the SAS, and everyone thought yeah. this was hilarious. But I, um, I um, ended up um, uh, applying for the SAS selection and I qualified, uh, passed all the selection courses and... In the meantime, I had a claim with the Traffic Accident Commission in Victoria, where I was with the Army, and they um, 
were going to give me a compensation for missing out on the Olympics for loss of enjoyment of life. And I got about half of what I would have normally got paid because they mentioned the fact that I was training and, uh, and uh, trying out for the SAS. So they thought I couldn't have been so badly done by. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, I invested that money and I got very interested in, in how markets work and how uh, investment markets work. And so in the early 80s, I was fascinated by investments. And after about five years in the, um, in the Special Forces in the SAS, where I was involved in counterterrorism, and um, working with uh, Jim Wallace, who was my boss, and he started the counter-terrorist unit at the, um, in the SAS um, regiment. And he then, um, later in life, left that and started the Australian Christian Lobby. And um, he has been um, responsible for the ACL. And so Jim was a bit of a mentor of mine. And, um, but what I was very interested in when I left the SAS was how money works and how markets work. And so um, I had um, a number of brokers and advisors who um, were always trying to sell things. And I've got this strong sense of what's true and what's not true. There's lots of truth claims in the investment world, a bit like the um, um, religious world. There's lots of truth claims. <clears throat> yeah. And yep. I was fascinated by tracking them down. And um and so I ended up becoming very successful as an investor and as an investment advisor and built a career in the investment uh, world. At the same time, I was very interested in social justice. <clears throat> and I um, was appalled by uh, the Santa Cruz massacre in the early 90s in, yeah. in, uh, in Timor. And I um, remembered that the SAS um, soldiers, the forerunners of the SAS regiment with the independent companies, who had fought in East Timor in the Second World War. And the Timorese literally laid down their life to save Australian soldiers. And so um, here I saw East Timor was being really hardly, hard done by. And so I got very involved in, um, in social justice as a result of that. And when East Timor eventually got its independence in 1999 yeah. from Indonesia, uh, they asked me to become their consul general in Australia. So I set up their... Um, consulate here to represent them. Um, I helped to establish their sovereign wealth fund um, with the royalties they eventually got from the uh, oil and gas um, revenues from the Timor Sea. And I ended up managing a, um, a fund for them, which was about $17 billion um, on a pro bono basis and training their Timorese uh, people. And so that was, that was an interesting concept. But um, along the way, um, I was um, one of the foundation members of the Financial Planning Association um, and an original board member who got involved on the board of directors. Um, I was involved in lots of different things. But then in about 2010 um, or 2011, my son, um, my eldest son, decided he, did, he didn't want to go to mass anymore because, um, you know, he wanted to be like dad. He wanted to be successful and be in the army, he wanted to be in, in the business. But mass was for losers, you know, like no one he knew was going to church. <laughs> and my wife was appalled by the idea that um, our kids wouldn't go to church. And it really made me stop and think, what was I doing? Um, kids look to their mother for nurture, but they look to their father for character. And yeah. I needed to actually demonstrate. And so I basically said, okay, Lord, I, I, I give up. I want, I want my kids to... Um, be practicing their faith. I want to spend eternity with them. Um, what can I do? And and um, um, I surrender. And that that's something that every one of us have to come to a point of where we're focusing on our faith just for you know on the side, or are we going to be really serious about it? And so this was what galvanised me to make a decision to change um, my focus. And I then said, okay, God, whatever you want me to be involved in, I'm, I'm, I'll put my hand up. Um, and um, I got involved in a number of, um, I used to be on the radio writing articles for the uh, Daily Telegraph and the Herald Sun newspaper and um, oh, very, great. very involved. Yeah, I had about 50 people working for me in my business. It was a big multi-million dollar business. And um, what happened was I um, um, really had the sense that, I, you know, I needed to, to really be... Um, overt about my faith, really out there and saying, this is who I am and this is what my identity is. And that created a lot of flack. But it was interesting, the Protestants got me to go and speak at a lot of their churches. 
And then I found there were a lot of people saying, well, you know, questioning my Catholic faith. And I had no, I really had pretty lousy formation um, when I look back. So, so um, at this point that you rediscovered your faith somehow, but then began to speak at Protestant circles? Well, I didn't rediscover my faith so much as I started to become very intentional about my faith. I was very involved in, we went to Mass every every Sunday. Um, we were raising our kids as Catholics, sending them all to Catholic schools. Yeah. And what I was um, um, doing, we were running marriage preparation courses in the Catholic Church. We were involved in things, but it was on the side. It wasn't central to everything that I was doing. Exactly. And... and Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could do a bit of church on the side on a Sunday for an hour. He, exactly. he died on the cross so that we lay down our life for converting the world and bringing them to know, you know, the, the living Christ that was risen from the dead. And I wasn't really living that way. Um, I was more interested in success. I was more interested in money, to be, to be honest, brutally honest, um, and being um, uh, somebody who was important. And and that was you can't serve two masters. You know you can right. you can fool yourself for a lot of the time. But you know when my son decided he didn't want to go to church anymore, my wife was ter you know just just mortified and and really upset about it. Then that really galvanised me to say, hey, I need to be front and centre about what I believe. When um, I got asked to be involved in a number of uh, Protestant organisations, and they started questioning my Catholic faith. I knew that I didn't have any answers. Mm -hmm. So I started yeah. Googling, you know, Dr. Google is always a great way to go. So I started looking up all sorts of um, um, answers uh, on the internet. And I came across uh, Catholic Answers and uh, Scott <laughs> Hahn. Um, As you would. And what happened? Yeah. So that's where it led me to answering these sorts of questions. And of course, then what happened was um, I uh, saw that there was a pilgrimage, or well, my wife saw there was a pilgrimage that Scott Hahn was doing in Israel back in 2013. And uh, she suggested that I should go on this pilgrimage with him because I wanted him to come out to Australia. And so I went there with the specific intention that I was going to convince him that he should come to Australia and speak to Australians. And um, what happened was I decided to take my wife and our seven kids along. So there were nine Aussies yeah. on a... Um, pilgrims with all these Americans. So we stood out like a sore thumb and <laughs> I kept trying to convince Scott that he needed to come to Australia. And he said there was a guy called Shabelle Raish who was running um, Parisia Media. Now I lived in Melbourne and I didn't know about Parisia. And he said, have you heard of Parisia? And I said, oh, never heard of it. He goes, well, you mustn't be very involved in the church because he was a big <laughs> fan of uh, Parisia Media and, and Shabelle. And uh, so he said, if you quit your job and, and you, you work with Chabelle, then I'll come to Australia. So I thought, okay. So I basically sold my business, quit my job, gave up everything and said, okay, Chabelle, I, I want to help and work with you. Scott Hahn said I should do this. And, and he was like quite shocked. But uh, that's what got me involved with Chabelle. And as I say, the rest is history. A decade later, Chabelle, uh, Chabelle and Perusia has expanded to an extraordinary um, extent and we've been able to touch thousands and thousands of people's lives. And um, and um, I knew that with uh, Perusia, there was all these resources, all these formation resources, all the things that I was searching for, that I all the answers to so many questions. And um, there is so much um, a wealth of material that's available through so many lay ministries in America, but there wasn't a lot of that in Australia. So the first thing I did when we joined forces, um, Chabelle and I, we went to America and we signed up EWTN. We became their distributors here in, in Australia. Uh, Catholic Answers, um, we started working, you know, be their exclusive distributors. Deacon uh, Harold with his ministries, um, Ascension Press, um, um, Augustine Institute, uh, Lighthouse Catholic Media. Uh, and so, you know, we, we really... Um, said, we'll be your boots on the ground in Australia. And so we were able to bring a whole host of um, so much of this wealth of, you know, fantastic uh, resource and information to Australia. And so um, literally I walked away from everything that I had. I went from rooster to feather duster. Um, you know, suddenly I was not important anymore. You know, you know what was interesting for me was um, God wants, loves me so much he wants to get me into heaven. He's more interested in me getting to heaven than I am. 
and um, and that's really quite a uh, comforting thought, you know. <laughs> and um, and and but what he knew was what I needed to do was be a bit more in the background. And so you've mentioned like you know with you know a bit who is this guy? Um, the fact is I. I used to be so much in the foreground, but everything that I've been doing since I've been surrendering my my heart and my soul, my life to to whatever God wants, um, it's been very interesting. He's he's given me a background role to play, and that's exactly what I needed. Um, I needed to just calm down and um, and and let you know um, not be focusing on my own glory or my own benefit, but saying, hey, um, other people can take the front run, and I can actually get in behind. I can support financially. I can support um spiritually and prayerfully and in every other way but um and and with my business expertise and my mm. experience i can actually um really give that grunt or that solid background and that backbone to ministries and and to help to uh, promote you know we're campion college and some of the wonderful things they're mm. doing there to promote russia media to promote Divine Renovation, uh, the Alpha Program, which has been a wonderful program for encouraging Catholics to reach out and invite other people mm, to come and exactly and have a chat, have a meal, and have a talk about their faith. And exactly. so I've been, you know, I've ended up, I've been invited to be on the board of Alpha. I've been invited to set up Divine Renovation here. Um, the work that I've been doing with Chabelle with uh, Parisia Media, it's been quite an exciting decade uh, over is, the last ten years. But and this is Kevin. Yeah. Uh, exactly why I founded the show because this is what I like to see I want to see and I want to be a part of what we call the art of practical Catholicism the art of taking action because yeah. in the church today I think we have a lot of skill we have um we, we have the truth but we got to get it out there but we have to use practical means to execute it in the real world today and and you're a tremendous example of taking action using your business expertise to take action with your faith sure. and to get it out there effectively using the practical means uh, possible. And it, it, it's just tremendous to hear that conversion of heart that you had. But but then God doesn't God, God uses and bring brings your skills to fruition now in, in serving his church. And um but that's why he gave us he gave every one of us certain skills and certain strengths. Yeah. Not for our own betterment or our own glory or for us to make, you know, to be, you know, sort of comfortable or fabulously rich or or have all these selfish needs. You can't, you know, literally to put them to the service of the kingdom. When you think of people like St. Paul, St. Augustine, um, uh, Thomas Aquinas, every single, you know, uh, heroic uh, figure in our history, God, you know, is given certain people skills. And every one of us have got skills and expertise. He's got us, you know, our time our talent, our treasure. Um, and all he asks is that we turn that towards his story, history, his 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 way. And that's where we find our greatest joy and our greatest fulfillment is using what he's given us um, to actually bring other people and to share it with others and to change the world. And what that does is, is every one of us have got a purpose in life. And we've just, you know, if we just surrender and give our hearts and everything to Christ, We'll, we'll, you know, we worry that we don't trust him enough because we might not be happy or we might lose something. And um, there's a nun in uh, in England that I was talking to just a couple of weeks ago when I was over there, and she talked about how she was a medical doctor and she gave it all up to be a contemplative nun. And someone asked her, um, someone asked her, you know, did you, you know, um, you know do you regret that or, you know, why did you give it all up? She said, well, I had a better offer. <laughs> <laughs> I had a better offer. And that's what, what God is pro pro providing to us is a better offer than everything we think is going to be important to our happiness and joy. And and so serving him is, is the best uh, offer or the best opportunity and gives us the greatest joy and the greatest purpose in our life that, nothing else can compare with what a divine outlook to say this is this is a better offer you know instead of seeing it in the yeah. light of the world in the temporal sphere having that divine outlook it just allows you to yeah. see everything holistically so i mean that's that, yeah, I mean, the, tre the tremendous work of perusia media i myself have been a beneficiary i owe my catholic faith personally to perusia media and uh, bringing out oh, wow. uh, bringing yeah. out tim staples in the that's year great. 2009 
and uh, again similar story being attacked uh, uh, on certain topics of the faith uh, by our Protestant uh, brothers and sisters um, and then I knew I, I went back I didn't have any answers for them you know in the park they used to come in the park next to my house and uh, I went back and I knew I had that CD there waiting from Perusia Media and I played it and that sparked the journey and then I got more material and it just, it, it, you hear many stories like this where catechesis has been at the forefront of people's reversion to the faith. And um, yeah. it, I mean, it troubles me a lot when I think we can sometimes get distracted with other initiatives and uh, social justice sometimes too much. And we neglect the catechesis because that's really what draws us is, is actually knowing what our faith is about to come back and uh, serve yeah. God. So I've spent it's it's not both it's not either or it's both and I've spent twenty years in social justice, but yeah. most people thought I was involved in social justice because I was a nice guy, yeah. or because we want to be kind or when it, the the reason I was involved in social justice is because as Mother Teresa of Calcutta Saint Teresa said, because she can see Jesus lying in the ditch or, or she can see Jesus the eyes of Jesus in every single victim or every single person that is destitute and she is so privileged to be able to actually clean the sores or clean the wounds of Jesus and so social justice is something we need to do but what happens is we somehow feel embarrassed about our faith so the world actually praises us for being in so involved in social justice but it, it condemns us for being involved in sharing the faith and and so we're pretty wimpy gutless people who feel oh, we'll do things which make people think we're nice instead of doing things where people are going to criticise us. And Cardinal George Pell was a classic Amen. example of people who spoke the truth and, yeah. and was persecuted. So we think, oh, I don't like a persecution bit. I'll just do these nice things and everyone think, what a hero <laughs> I am. No, that's not what, you know, what Jesus on. demands of us. Yeah. I mean, mm. I love how you articulate that we can't be... Catholics on the side with a bit of church, you know, on the side. It's unfortunate no. that you often see that, not that we're judging, we hope we're wrong, but you can see that in a lot of people today because it gets the better of us uh, where we just want the comfort. And know. no one's challenged us, George. No one's challenged us to live our faith to the full. And what happens is, is we need to be challenged. We need to be questioned about being wimps, particularly us men. You know, we, we basically wimp out and, um, you know, come on, a bit of muscular Christianity where we can basically stand up and be prepared to lay our life down for something more important than ourselves. That's what marriage is, where basically, you know, Jesus showed, you know, his, his bride was the church and the marriage bed was the cross. And so, you know, he was prepared to suffer and die for his bride. And so we need to be, able, you know, prepared to suffer and die for something that we believe in. And there's something in the heart of every human being that says, hey, that's what we were made for this. Our, you know, we were made for this times like these. And, um, and not be afraid. Be not afraid, you know, was the uh, motto that Cardinal Pell had. Yeah. And yet but, we are afraid so often. And, and a great and a very big um, um, shout out or appreciation, hopefully up there. For Cardinal, His Eminence, Cardinal George Pell has been a great inspiration to me and so many people to be empowered. Absolutely. And, uh, and I, I mean, I, I really, even now I look back to the life of Cardinal Pell for wisdom. I draw a lot of wisdom out of his, his strength and his, uh, his boldness. But I, I want to ask you this question, Kevin. What do you think, and I, I like to ask this, to many people who have uh, unique perspectives. who You've been uh, through the secular world, the corporate world, um, as an entrepreneur, and now working in the vineyard of the Lord a little bit more closely um, through the lay apostolates. What do you think the underlying problem is of uh, Catholics and why they failed to, uh, to take action with their faith effectively and draw people back to the faith and people to the church what do you think the underlying problem gutlessness. is? gutlessness that's what the problem is gutlessness i can't put it any more plainly than that it's wimping out and and um and this beige 
let's be nice you know the the um the you know the um the religion of niceness um let's just be you know let's all sing kimbaya and hold hands together and kissy kissy and huggy huggy gutlessness you know what we need is muscular christianity what's demanded of us is that we lay down our life and we not no one asks us to do something real i've raised you know three young men boys that have grown into men and i've said you know man up you know one of the things is is we've got to and and for young women our, our, you know our women often are much better at this than us men but what happens is is we're not asked to to really we don't challenge each other we don't call each other out and we accept mediocrity and yeah. we wonder why we're in the situation that we're in because we accept mediocrity and we're a bit and we we you know um when i was a kid they used to say sticks and stones may break my bones but you know words will never hurt me mm-hmm. now we get called a nasty name we go come on you know we you know the martyrs of old were were tortured and they they were basically they were prepared to die for the faith and we we actually get called a nasty name with oh oh okay we we won't do that because they'll call me some name and they'll 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 misjudge me and so i think the big problem is is that we don't challenge each other we don't call each other out and we're prepared to accept mediocrity when someone says oh um you know um you know I, i don't want to be too fanatical about my faith i just want to be you know and so and uh, we need to say well, well you know you're you're happy to be fanatical about your football team what's the matter with you exactly you know because it's socially acceptable to be fanatical about your football team that's a thing imagine what Wearing scarves out of your car, going woo Catholic Church, woo <laughs> you know, that that lock you up, and and so you know what we've got is we've had it too easy for too long, and and with every society, what happens is we become complacent, so we're battling complacency, we're battling mediocrity, and we're back battling a um, a church that's that's you know sort of a bit frightened to to really proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. And if we do that, then what happens is it changes the world. It has done that again and again over the last 2000 years. And and we've got to be courageous and and we we've got to stop giving into fear and being afraid. And so, you know, the fact is we know what the truth is. You know, there's a big transgender movement going on at the moment. And so we all want to be quiet. We don't want to upset anyone. We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. So we'll all pretend that girls are boys and boys are girls and we'll all pretend and then they get children that are being mutilated. And but we don't want to say anything about that because otherwise they call us a nasty name like transphobe. Mm-hmm. Or we know what the truth is in 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 a countless number of areas, but we don't proclaim it. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. but we don't want to offend our muslim brothers and sisters so we just shut up about that or our buddhist brothers and sisters or our atheists the number of times atheists make the most outrageous claims and we go oh that's nice mm-hmm. come on we need to be able to say hey i love you dearly brother but <clears throat> you're wrong and and we don't have the confidence we are suffering such a lack of confidence because we don't have much formation mm-hmm. and we've been doing this for 50 years or more and so it's time for us you know to really you know to drill down to get the answers to know what the answers are to understand our catechism to understand the truth to understand how we need to love people but when jesus when people came to jesus like the uh, woman committed committing adultery he didn't go say oh go and sleep with as many men as you like to find i accept you just as you are he said hey go and sin no more and i love you and and you're much better than this and the same way as we should be doing to our children when they um when they live a lifestyle or start doing something and we think oh that's okay as long as you're nice people we've got this wimpy beige approach to things that that we end up with lukewarm jesus talked about in uh, laodicea in the book of revelation you know saint john talks about how Jesus you know said you know he you know he preferred to be hot or cold you know but lukewarm he vomited you out of his mouth we have become lukewarm 
and lukewarm about the most wonderful experience of knowing the risen Christ. And yet what we've got, what's the problem? The problem is lukewarm, wussy Christianity instead of kick-ass exactly. Christianity. Exactly, exactly. And I'm sorry, but what happens is people who watch this um, um, uh, interview and they think, oh, it's a bit over the top for me. I think I prefer to just to be wussy and, and lukewarm. Mm -hmm. It might offend somebody. I don't want to offend anybody, but I think that our fear of offending people has meant that we've never proclaimed the truth. And, exactly. and what happens is we do people a disservice. Our brothers and sisters that are atheists or um, who are living lifestyles that are wrong, that are bad for their health, that are bad for their, um, their eternal salvation, and we don't dare actually talk about it. We need to talk about it in love, but we need to speak the yeah. truth, but speak yeah. the truth in love. It's not about condemning people or criticizing people. It's just saying, this is the truth. And, and what you're doing is damaging to you. And I care about you enough to risk being called a bigot or being called a name, mm -hmm. but we don't exactly. risk anything for our faith. Exactly. We risk nothing. You look at the Maronites, um, you know, there are people who for, for a long time have been persecuted for their faith. And there's no surprise to me that these Maronite um, Catholics are prepared to stand up for their faith because they've been honed in the fire of persecution. And so I'm thinking, man, as a Latin Roman Catholic who's lived, grown up in a wussy Catholic culture in Australia where everything's beige, um, I've become fat and flabby. I'll never, ever make the Parramatta bloody team to parlay in the grand final because I'm too wussy and flabby. <laughs> I need to be match fit about my faith. You can join the Bulldogs. And, and so <laughs> uh, maybe the Bulldogs. But That's a bit more mad. Chabelle goes for the Bulldogs, you know. <laughs> I also <laughs> but, go for the Bulldogs. Yeah, I must admit, yeah, because you've got so many ethnics that are playing for the Bulldogs and involved in the Bulldogs, <laughs> you know. These people who were formed in another time and place in another country, they know what it means to stand up for something. And so, you know, the, the number of migrants that we have here that are championing our faith in all sorts of areas and our football teams, but the fact is, is you know, they know about being fair income, about, you know, standing up for something. And that's what I, I admire so much. Yeah. Tremendous. I mean, having a, a great introduction to who you are and your, your, your very inspiring story and your faith. And, um, and now you've embarked on a new journey now. Uh, it's called Divine Renovation. Uh, I love the name, by the way. And I, I'm <laughs> it's, very, it's not about very fixing curious. the plumbing. It's not about fixing the plumbing. I want you to know that. <laughs> well, you're on the Catholic toolbox. So we want the tools and we want to take we want the tools to take action with our faith. And <laughs> yes. I'm sure I'm sure this yeah, tools written all over it. So enlighten our listeners and myself. What is Divine Renovation, uh, which is your current project that you're working on? We're seeing great things on social media. What is it and what's the purpose of it? Yeah, there's a, a Catholic priest in, um, in eastern Canada, in Nova Scotia, called Father James Mallon, yeah. who um, came to faith when he was a 16 or 17-year-old um, teenager uh, through doing a program called Casillo. And the Casilla movement is a wonderful renewal movement in the church where they, <clears throat> they, they, they really get people to, to stop and really um, reflect on who, who Christ is and then to ask Jesus to come into their hearts, to come into their life and to be real. And then as a result of that, <clears throat> that experience of that weekend away that he had, we had a real experience of the risen Christ, that that charisma, that, um, that conversion experience that we all need to have. So often in the Catholic Church, we sacramentalize, but we don't evangelize. So often in the Catholic Church, we basically go through the motions and we never, ever invite people to invite Jesus into their heart to actually say, if you're real, Lord, show yourself to me, reveal yourself to me, and, 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 and everything that I have, I give to you. So that it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me, as St. Paul says. So Father James had that experience. But then <clears throat> um, as a result of that, he became very deeply involved in his faith. He went up, ended up going to seminary, became a priest. But constantly he had this question on his heart. 
why isn't what's happening in Casillo or Marriage and Counter or Teams of Our Lady or um, uh, Charismatic Renewal or all these movements that are going on, um, why isn't that the reality in the parish where I go to Mass? Why is it so it's bland and dull and boring and, and, and you can't get in there and out of there quick enough? Um, and so people treat the um, parish as a sacramental service station. You get into the service station, fill her up and get out as quickly as possible. Collect the sacraments and, you know, on the run, you know, on the go. You know, imagine if you can have drive-through confessions during COVID. They thought, well, that's a good idea. But, you know, the idea is... We did have them here. You know, people that do... Oh, we have had them in Why am I not surprised? But, but the fact is, is this sacramental service station approach where, where effectively, you know, people just go in and grab the uh, sacraments, and, but then they really live their life by being involved in the movements or being involved in things outside the parish. So here this heart for the parish and parish renewal. But as a young priest, he felt <clears throat> he wasn't really qualified. He had no leader. He's an introvert. He had no leadership training. He didn't know how to do it. And so one of his parishioners said, oh, you know, the business world's got lots of coaching and leadership and mentoring. You know, that, that, you know they spend, if you're running a company that makes sneakers, um, you get more leadership training than a priest who goes through the seminary to run a parish. And I can tell you that your eternal salvation I is much that. more important than a pair of sneakers. Yeah, I believe yeah. that. So... He got really involved in researching leadership. Yeah, yeah. But he recognised that it wasn't just his leadership. And leadership in business is all about the individual being a leader and, 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 and focusing on their strengths and being able to influence others and to bring others with him and do all those sorts of things, which are great. But, in fact, it's much deeper than that. It's, it's basically... It's a spiritual experience. So the power of the Holy Spirit is really important. It's one of the keys. And so he recognized that if he was going to transform his parish, it had to be the Holy Spirit that was transforming. You know, the, the apostles were all wimps and like you and me, mate. We're, we're all pretty wussy guys yeah. until the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and all the guys that ran away from the cross, John was the only one that stayed there, but I tell you what, what happened at Pentecost was the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them and every one of them was prepared to die for their faith because of the, um, the power of the Holy Spirit. So he really prayed and he had his parish praying for renewal. So mm -hmm. prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit was really important. And the other thing he recognised was that his job as a priest was to maintain the flock. You know, Jesus said to Peter, you know, feed my sheep. You know, feed my lambs, feed my, you know, sheep. Um, and so a priest as a pastor has to maintain the flock. Mm -hmm. But because in this day and age, there's so much that needs to be done to maintain the flock, to maintain the parish, that you're, it feels like you're drinking from a fire hydrant. Yeah, Everything's coming true. at you. Yeah. Because of clericalism, we end up with this, you know, basically father does this, father does that. Everything's got to be father, father, father. And clericalism is not just the priest saying he should do everything. It's people in the pews thinking, my job is to sit here and warm a pew and everyone else's, everything else needs to be done by the priest. And so he recognised that in order to, to, um, to really um, bring a parish alive is that every single person in the parish needs to be a, a crew member, not a passenger. Exactly. And so the bark of Peter, the ship of Peter, the Catholic Church, is not a cruise ship, it's a battleship. We've got to get out there and fight against the evils of Satan and everything. But every single we can't all just have passengers coming along for the ride. And yet our Catholic Church in Christendom, in modern Christian, was just basically you get there and get you get everything given to you. Don't, and, don't you know, say Christendom. You know, you Christendom sounds too clerical. <laughs> yeah, but that's where we were. That's where we were living. And so we're now in a post-Christian society yeah. where that, that the idea that people could actually um, get born, get baptised, go to a Catholic school, meet a Catholic girl, get married in a Catholic church and then have Catholic children, get them baptised, go to a Catholic school, meet a Catholic girl, get no, back, you know, like... No, no, you no, know, no. That, that, that was what worked for hundreds of years. 
and then the Catholics on one side of the street and the Protestants on the other side and the way we went. But effectively, everyone's, we've now got 90% of Catholics not going to mass. 90%. If you had a business at a 90% failure rate, yeah. you'd really question what you're doing. 98% of kids going to Catholic schools finish year 12 not going to mass. Now, it's not, I'm not saying who's to fault, who's to blame, but the parent, a lot of, of the us. parents aren't going to mass. So that's all of the us. kids, they don't care. It's all of us. Most of the teachers, it's all of us. It, no one's pointing the finger at anybody. Yeah. But the fact is, is we are not, we are culturally, we basically um, need to really address what's what's going on, what's going wrong. So Father James was trying to address these things and he recognised that what we need to do is reach out to our world. Now, we've got the greatest message for people to be a tonic for what's going on, the despair, the suicides, the drug taking, the pornography, the, all the things going on in our world. Um, that, in fact, Jesus is the answer, but we don't tell anyone. We keep it under a bushel. We keep the light hidden because we're frightened they might call us names or they might not like us or something. And so he sought the, um, the, the idea that we need to be more outreaching and missional. And it's interesting, when you focus on maintaining the flock, you never get around to mission. But if you focus on being an outreaching, missional, uh, making missionary disciples type parish, then you raise up leaders and those leaders start to do a lot of the other jobs that he had to do as a priest. It's a bit like when you have one or two kids, you're busy as heck. Yeah. And, um, and what happens when you have six or seven kids, um, you haven't got the time to be as busy as heck with each of the kids. The older kids start pastoring to the younger kids. They start parenting. And so it becomes, you actually raise up leadership within your family to actually do the job. You don't have to just do it on your own. Yeah. And the same thing happens yeah. in a parish. So Father James wrote a book on this called Divine Renovation. And I met him when he just he was writing the book and he asked me to read it. And every page of that book resonated with me. I said, this is exactly what I feel, but um, I haven't been able to enunciate. Mm -hmm. And so I was very excited about it. And, um, and so I was very supportive. And then in 2016, they held a conference and they invited anyone who wanted to know about it to come. And we encouraged, we ended up bringing 60 people from Australia to his conference. 10% um, wow. of his entire delegates, I couldn't believe it, came from the other side of the planet to go to Halifax, Nova Scotia. And so then um, some of those priests and some of those people started implementing some of those practices. And one of the things that Divine Renovation does is it helps to coach Priest, because Father James has got a great love for his brother priest. You cannot change a parish if the priest is not prepared to change. It's just going to frustrate the laity. And so, and the canon law, the priest is the leader of the parish, but the priest needs to lead out of a team. And so exactly. what Father James was talking about was having a senior leadership team that works with the priest to enable the parish to come alive, to be focused on mission to be focused on uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, to be focused on leadership, and that out of that, um, that the, the parish becomes more missional. So by 2020, Father James had come to the conclusion that we need to actually run ministries in different parts of the world. So he asked me to set up the ministry here in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. And so currently we've got, we're connected to 512 parishes three years later. It's not three years, three years in July. That's Nearly amazing. three years. That's an amazing it's result. Right. We'll, um, we've got 430 priests that are working with us across Australia and New Zealand, and that we've wow. got um, um, we're supporting parishes and priests in 14 different dioceses across Australia, and we've got 98 percent, 98 priests that are in our coaching programs, um, and and what's happening is. Um, we're now getting to the point where several years down the track, there are parishes that are like lighthouses that are, that are coming alive. The amount of sacrificial giving has gone up because, you know, when I first got married and my wife and I decided to give $10 a week to our local parish, which is a lot in 1990, um, most people were putting coins on the plate. Before but I can tell you, by the time I left the parish 28 years later, you know how much I was giving? $10 a week. Never increased. Didn't no one ever asked in, me for more. Didn't keep up with inflation. 
did not keep up with inflation, it, you know, and quite frankly, why should they get any more? Because, you know, they didn't inspire me. They weren't doing anything. They, they you know were That's mediocre correct. at best. That's correct. You know, you don't blame people for not giving more, not contributing more. No. When you don't give them anything. You're not feeding them anything. They're there for cultural. And you give them purposes. a vision and you give them a job and you give them the opportunity. To, and it's like my brother-in-law, he was, um, he's not, he hasn't gone to mass for 30 years. Hasn't got to, he's not involved in the church. But he got involved with his local football club and he became the secretary of the local football club. Yeah. He donates voluntarily 20 hours a week to the local football club. He's down there every night of the week. It does amazing things for his teenage sons. It does wow. amazing things in community, character. He meets all of his needs. He's got all of his mates there and he gives all of his time to something that is really meaningful to him. When they built new change rooms, he donated $25,000 towards the change rooms that he couldn't afford. And yet we would never dare ask anyone to donate $25,000 towards the parish or give 20 hours a week. And yet we're not talking about someone's football, kids' football skills. We're talking about their eternal salvation and their kids' salvation. And yet we ask so little of people compared to a football club. And so what um, I've discovered is that when, when a parish comes alive, people will donate time resources money commitment they would it would it would just transform that whole community and then the catholic parish becomes the only club in town that exists for its non-members everyone there is working for something other than themselves they're working for their whole community to bring new people to christ christ didn't die on the cross so that we could have nice cups of tea after mass with nice little old ladies i'm sorry little old ladies but that's not the uh, essence of why Christ died on the cross. He died on the cross so that we can proclaim the truth to the whole world in Jews, Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And guess what? They mentioned Australia in the uh, book of Acts because the ends of the earth is Australia. <laughs> and that's where we need to be proclaiming it. That's why he put us here. So we better get on with the job. <laughs> so divine renovation has become a movement that supports parish renewal. We inspire, we equip, and we connect people that are, that are fair to about their faith, that are prepared to actually make sacrifices to make change so that the whole um, of what Christ promised can come about in our lifetimes. And so what I envisage is nothing more than the transformation of the Catholic Church in Australia and New Zealand. But right around the world, this is, you know, I talk about Australia and New Zealand and what's happening. And I talk about what's going on, but we're literally in, um, we've been working around the world now <clears throat> over the last few years with 2,456 priests. Wow. With 18,000 parish leaders, with countries as diverse as um, uh, South Africa and Portugal and Germany and the UK and Canada and, um, and the United States, and but even in Argentina and Chile. Um, even in, in places like um, um, India and, and um, in, in, um, in, in um, Slovenia, Lithuania, I've met priests and their, their lay people. I was just came back from a conference in London just uh, two weeks ago, and there's the Lithuanians. We were partying hard. We, we went to a parish that's been transformed in Richmond in London, yep. and an amazing parish. And then after um, Mass... Um, we all went down to the local pub. It was a Ted Lasso pub. Yeah. And, um, you know, where they had that football, that, that thing that I haven't seen it, but I've got to watch it now because everyone's talking, this is the Ted Lasso pub where they filmed this this um, TV program where where he, he, he resurrected a uh, soccer club of misfits. And um, and so, you know, I was down there with a bunch of Lithuanians um, with their archbishop, no, no less, who was drinking some um, pints at the uh, local pub and talking about how divine renovation is transforming Lithuania. And um, so we're in 28 countries. Yeah, we've got all the resources transformed, uh, translated into seven languages. So things are happening. Aslan is on the move. Exactly. The Holy Spirit uh, always comes. And when let's, it seems the darkest hour. Mm. So, Kevin, uh, let's break down now. What are some of the practical ways that you assist the parish priest? When when a parish priest signs up, 
and members of a parish council, yeah. people who want to improve the parish and draw people and help people. What are some of the thing, ways that you actually help them and train them on a practical level? There are three things we talk about that I have to do as a ministry supporting this movement of parish renewal. It's not divine. All divine renovation is, is we're in the background supporting others. Mm-hmm. My motto is my fruit grows on other people's trees. Yeah. And um, I have to be in the background, not in the fore, you know. Um, God, you know, Jesus wants me to get to heaven. So he says, get in the background, you know, don't get too carried away. Yeah. So the first thing we need to do is connect them with others that have got this same belief. I can't tell you the tears that I've seen when people realize they're not alone, mm-hmm. that there are others that are really keen about doing this because they feel like they've got two heads. They feel like they're idiots. You know, no one, yeah. it's not what anyone else is doing. So the first one is to connect. The second one is to inspire them. That That is possible. So we can show them. If you go, if you Google Divine Renovation or you look up some of our YouTube clips, you there are stories. We actually, we gather stories of of transformation that are happening all over the world, including here in Australia and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And, and people are blown away by the impact that 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 just surrendering to Christ and 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 praying for parish renewal brings about a massive renewal. So we we inspire them. But the third way is equip, and that's what you're asking the question about. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is I say, well, here's a copy of Father James' book, Divine Renovation. Why don't you get together your top five or six leaders in your parish and have a book study. You ever heard of that, George? A book study where every Tuesday night, once a week, you get together over wine and cheese and you talk about the chapter that you read that week. It really makes some accountability for everyone to read the bloody book and to come prepared to talk about it and have a bit of a nice social The the wine is a great thing. The first thing you can do. So the book is a great practical way to start. Then there's the guidebook uh, to divine renovation, which goes through how to actually transform your parish. Then um, there's a um, wonderful book called Preaching on Purpose, we've just um, produced. There's very few resources for priests to give really good homilies. Yeah. And we talk about they've got to give really good homilies, but no one's ever trained them. So four of our top um, coaches and people who are involved in this area have put together an unbelievable book on giving on, on giving great homilies, which focus on mission and focus on transforming your parish. And I think that's a very important and, and area. So, and that is a very important area yeah. because I got a, a different parishes. And look, there are yeah. some parishes that aren't as liturgically, uh, uh, as liturgically focused, but they may have some tremendous preaching. And ones that are more liturgically yeah. focused, but the the priests sometimes may not have the best delivery as other priests. Um, everyone has their own talents, but I think each priest should be equipped to to preach well yeah. and, and give a good homily that inspires people and leaves their parishioners with something more. But that's 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 the bread and butter. I know, you know, and and, and liturgy is important. Lex orandi, lex credendi. You know, as we as we pray, so we believe. But the fact is, is, is that there's an opportunity for 20 minutes to exegete the word, to break out the gospels, to make it real, to transform people's lives. I was freaked out on uh, Saturday morning, on Saturday night. I was at St. Uh, Christopher's Cathedral in Canberra. Yeah. And the homily was like, knock your socks off. I thought, whoa, where'd they get him? Um, at the cathedral parish. I thought, wow. And so after I went up and said, Father, unbelievable homily. Good on you. Keep it up. You know, the fact is we've got, you know, you know, we cannot, we should not ever tolerate priests to give shitty homilies. Uh, and yet that's what happens. Amen. But, but the fact is, Look, is I'm guilty, I always say, I'm guilty of falling asleep. I'm guilty of falling asleep. Huh. I, it's sort of like an ADHD yeah. with wanting a good homily all the time. You know, if it's not, if it's and, not and engaging, it's not good. Frankly, you don't want to listen. priest can't give a good homily, yeah, then, then he needs to retire. Get out of here. Get off the potty. Do the business or get off the potty is what I say. And um, and and so, quite frankly, um, the three H's are hymns, homilies, and hospitality. You get those right, you've got 90% of the job done. Number one, I've gone into a parish um, 
And I go to lots of parishes all over Australia, New Zealand. And I don't tell people who I am or where I'm from or anything. I just turn up and I sit there. And the number of times I'm just ignored during mass or after mass, and they all talk to their friends, but um, but no one says hello. No, you know, I'm just like I'm an outcast or a stranger. Yeah. And that's unforgivable. And so we need to actually be outreaching and hospitable to people. And that that will bring converts and bring people to 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 faith. Um, but um, hymns, you know, you know, they say to the young priests when they get out of seminary, don't change a mass time or change the um, the choir, or you have a mutiny on your hands. And and quite frankly, it's just crazy. We've got to have excellence, excellence in the way we worship God. Nothing less than excellence is what God deserves. So in the traditional Latin mass. Man, oh man, the beauty of the liturgy and the and the and the singing and the uh, it's it raises our hearts and minds yeah. to God, and and yet you know so much in the Novus Ordo we seem to just have you know and 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 Maronite masses you know some of the beauty of a Lady of Lemidon or something you know the fact is is what we need to have is is great homilies. We have great sing, and if it's not great, and someone who's not good at it, we coach. We coach priests oh, so that yeah. the next thing that we do is an equipping. Is we basically have a program where we actually have we actually have trained um, coaches that actually take priests that are prepared to transform things um, on a coaching program. The, we initially have a three month coaching program called Kickstart, just to dip your toe in the water. Um, and it, we're all entirely donor-funded. Our entire ministry is to bless priests and their parishes, and we charge nothing for everything that we do. And and Amazing. we basically provide all of this, the coaching, the mentoring, um, the webinars. Tomorrow night we've got a webinar for anyone who wants to sign up. Oh, sorry, we're pre-recording this. So it's, um, it's it, But we've always got webinars. And yeah. so what I'd say is that, you know, go on our website, and we actually provide... Um, some extraordinary speakers that are talking on some amazing aspects of the faith. So how do we do it? Was your question? We provide them, we equip them with the resources, with coaches, um, with mentors, with, um, with books, with um, webinars, with every single resource you could possibly need. But the biggest resource is accountability. We're not going to let people get away with just, you know, sort of talking about it. Um, but never doing anything. And so you need a accountability partner that's going to ask the priest, hey, come on, you know, you want to, you talk about you want to have parish renewal, but do you really want it or are you just playing with the idea? And a lot of them just play with the idea because change is hard. If you ask a group of people uh, who thinks we need to change what we're doing, everyone, who wants to change themselves in their own lives? No one. Yeah, and so what we need to do is we need to change our lives, change our hearts and be prepared to actually have some persecution, be prepared to have some discomfort. You know, Jesus Christ came to comfort the afflicted, but he also came to afflict the comforted. And if we don't afflict the comforted and we want to keep people comfortable all the time, we're going to be like palliative care. My mum died in 2019 in Catholic palliative care and are wonderful. And they do a wonderful job of making people comfortable as they prepare to die. They do not belong in a parish. We're not preparing parishes to die. We're not going to be about managing decline and keeping people comfortable as we disappear off the face of the earth. Not on my watch, baby. We are going to actually proclaim the good news and we're going to change the world um, or else we're going to die trying. And that's what Absolutely. we all need to have that attitude. I yeah. mean, that's just absolutely inspiring. I mean, your perspective on this and... I mean, where do we start? I mean, usually here on the show, I ask my guests to give me three practical tools and how we can take action with the subject, but you've given us the tools through divine renovation. It's all there. There's no excuse. It's, it's no done. excuse, George. We yeah. can talk about it, but we need to get off our backsides and start doing something. You know, when Athanasius, um, Saint Athanasius, Athanasius, he said he woke up one morning, the whole world was Aryan in about 300 and something AD. And, you know, you know, all the leaders, all of the uh, military and all of the governance and all the people overwhelmingly believed that Jesus was not God. But you know who believed that Jesus, they understood intuitively because 
because of their relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And, and they knew the Trinity was real. And so what happened was he went and he, he argued the case. And then in 325, the Catholic Church came up with um, the document, the Nicene Creed, where, 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 where they, they, they basically dispelled, you know, 80% of people believed in Arianism and the, and the leadership, but it was the lay people that were able to stand up for their faith. You know, when Henry VIII, you know, decided that he wanted to basically say that marriage was not important or relevant and that, um, that the authority of the king was greater than the authority of God and the, th the authority of the church to speak on matters of truth and morals. And um, St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher. St. John Fisher was the only bishop that stood up um, and the rest of them, he lost his head. But, you know, who do we talk? Can you name any of the other bishops in, in England? In 1535? No, absolutely not. I can't either. But I can name John Fisher because he had the guts to stand up and lay down his life for marriage and truth and, um, and morality. And so what we've got is a situation where there were huge numbers of lay people, you know, were the ones who prepared to die for their faith. And, and so we have to be as... As lay people and priests and bishops, we've got some wonderful bishops in Australia. We've got some wonderful priests, but they need to have our we need they need to have us knowing that we have their back, and we need to actually you know uh, fortify them, and 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 gird their loins and and basically you know stand behind them and say, hey, come on, Father, you you became a priest for something more than just having cups of tea with little old ladies, you know this is your time. You were called for a time like this and a place like this. Stand up and be counted and I've, I'm right behind you and I've got your back and we're going to do this together. And we can, we can turn this whole thing around and we're going to transform our culture. There is not a doubt in my mind. And there are so many practical things that we can start doing right now, right here. Even, you know, we can start, we can actually you know, talk to our parish priest and say, hey, I want to get something together. We want to transform our parish. So let's hone in on that particular thing. How can people listening now, who've uh, undoubtedly been inspired by what you've had to say, how can people now listening, lay people, take matters into their own hands? Or if there's a, a priest listening here tonight, how can they take matters into their own hands with their parish and get in touch with divine revelation? How can they get in touch with you and okay. get started on this they whole project? Number one, they can't. They can't take matters into their own hands because we live and we, we appropriately are in a hierarchical church. The, um, the passing on the faith, the apostolic tradition is the ballywick or the responsibility of the bishops. But what they can do is not take matters into their own hands. What they can do is they can love their priest, they can love their bishop. They can actually let them know they support them, but they can let them know that they, they want something more than mediocrity. They want mm -hmm. something more than just the beige, bland, everything you know, that we've been going with. They, want, they, they can actually say, hey, I want to actually have renewal and I'm prepared to not make, you know, because you're so busy and the, the priest feels like he's drinking from a fire hydrant and he can't do it on his own. So what we need to do is pray for them. We need to actually support them. We need to let them know that we've got their back. We then say, hey, um, I think, you know, um, they can go on the web side of divine renovation you know there is so much material information about on youtube on on the divine renovation website on what is, what and then is they the can register divine renovation is their priest. what is the Sorry? website that people can go to um, divine renovation.org that is divine.org renovation.org um and then they and divine renovation.org you know dot au for australia yeah. and and um so Anyone in, you know, like people will say, oh, I don't know the website. Google the darn thing. Come on, get creative, you know, and, um, and, and you can find things. If you have a desire to find the truth, seek the truth. Find what you need to find. Buy a copy of the book through Perusia Media. Exactly. Get a, um, a, book, a book study going. Um, one of the great uh, tools we use to actually invite strangers to come and have a cup, you know, have a meal and to talk about the meaning of life is Alpha. The Alpha program 
fits really nicely into parish renewal because it develops a leadership pipeline and it gives people the opportunity to get over their fear of inviting others and to go and ask others to come to something. And so you start, you know, what people can do is, is in conjunction with their parish priest, get permission to run an alpha program. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful start. Um, get their priest to do, encourage him to do a kickstart program. Um, get a book study going um, about divine renovation and, and get people who want to transform their parish. Find like-minded people, connect with them. Find the equipping resources and find the inspirational stories that are going to enable people to stop living in despair. It's a sin. Despair is a sin. We cannot continue to live in despair. We have to live in hope. And we know that hope comes from God. Despair comes from this, the evil one. And so, you know, quite frankly, I've never been more exhilarated by the opportunity that lays before us. You know, as I say, Aslan's on the move. We're going to kick ass. We're going to do, we're going to have a lot of fun. Exactly. And don't be misery guts. Be filled with joy because, you know, the best is yet to come. Thank you very much for being with me, Kevin Bailey. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. For those who want to get in touch and get connected with Divine Renovation, go to divinerenovation.org or divinerenovation.com.au for the Australian version. So thank you so much for being with me here. Uh, I'm sure you've been an absolute inspiration to our listeners and time to take action with our faith. It is. It's past time, but it's better to catch up. You know, there's work to be done. Yeah. Good on you, George. Great to be with you and with Thank your you listeners. And I, um, I really, I think we're in an exciting time for our faith over the next um, decade or two. We're going to have a lot of fun. See Absolutely. you, mate. Thank you for tuning into the Catholic Toolbox. Don't forget to download the podcast on the Catholic Toolbox wherever you get your podcasts on whichever platform available. Or go to thecatholictoolboxshow.com. That is thecatholictoolboxshow.com to download the weekly podcast alert. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh. Until next week, God bless, take care, and take action. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith, to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. Charity.